my fault. I thought it was uh, a PowerPoint. We're working on getting PowerPoints made for all the songs we'll be singing. That way we can all look up at the screen as we sing them. Um, but uh, we must not have gotten that one yet, and so <laughs> I'm sorry for that. All right, 1 Samuel 26. We'll read the passage, and then I'll pray, and we'll jump in. Now the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is David not hiding in the hill of Hakalah, opposite Jashimon? And Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having 3,000 chosen men of Israel with him to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul encamped in the hill of Hakalah, which is opposite Jashimon, by the road. But David stayed in the wilderness, and he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness. David, therefore, sent out spies, and understood that Saul had indeed come. So David arose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay, and Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of his army. Now Saul lay within the camp, with the people encamped all around him. And David answered and said to Ahimelech the Hittite, and to Abishai, the son of Zeruah, brother of Joab, saying, Who will go down with me to Saul in the camp? And Abishai said, I will go down with you. So David and Abishai came to the people by night, and there Saul lay sleeping within the camp, with his spear stuck in the ground by his head. And Abner and the people lay all around him. Then Abishai said to David, God has delivered your enemy into your hand this day. Now therefore, please, let me strike him at once with the spear, right to the earth. I will not have to strike him a second time. David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him. For who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? David said, furthermore, as the Lord lives, the Lord shall strike him, or his day shall come to die, or he shall go out to battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. But please take now the spear and the jug of water that are by his head and let us go. So David took the spear and the jug of water by Saul's head and they got away. And no man saw or knew it or awoke, for they were all asleep, because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen on them. Now David went over to the other side, and stood on the top of a hill afar off, a great distance being between them. And David called out to the people, and to Abner the son of Ner, saying, Do you not answer, Abner? And Abner answered and said, Who are you, calling out to the king? So David said to Abner, Are you not a man? And who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not guarded your lord, the king? For one of the people came in to destroy your lord, the king. This thing that you have done is not good. As the Lord lives, you deserve to die, because you have not guarded your master, the Lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is and the jug of water that was by his head. And Saul knew David's voice and said, Is that you? Is that your voice, my son, David? And David said, It is my voice, my lord, O king. And he said, Why does my lord thus pursue his servant? For what have I done, or what evil is in my hand? Now therefore, please, let my lord the king hear the words of his servant. If the lord has stirred you up against me, let him accept an offering. But if it is the children of men, may they be cursed before the Lord, for they have driven me out this day from sharing in the inheritance of the Lord, saying, Go, serve other gods. 
So now do not let my blood fall to the earth before the face of the Lord. For the king of Israel has come out to seek a flea. As when one hunts a a partridge, partridge in the mountains. And Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I, will ha- uh, for I will harm you no more, because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Indeed, I have played the fool and erred exceedingly. David answered and said, Here is the king's spear, that one of the young men come over and get it. May the Lord repay every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord delivered you into my hand today, but I would not stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. And indeed, as your life was valued much this day in my eyes, so let my life be valued much in the eyes of the Lord, and let him deliver me out of all tribulation. And Saul said to David, May you be blessed, my son David. You shall both do great things, and also shall prevail. So David went his way, and Saul returned to his place. Let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, truly this evening, even as we've just confessed in song, we find our hope and our rest in Jesus Christ alone. Heavenly Father, even as we turn our our, our attention to this passage, And we see a man on the run. We see behind that to see your good and sovereign hand at work for David's good and for your glory. Lord, may you be honored in all that is said and done in this hour. May your name be lifted high. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, it's become kind of a fad uh, that as each new school year starts, you'll start seeing pictures on Facebook or online different places of uh, each year as families take pictures getting ready for school, a first day of school picture. And especially as someone starts getting towards graduation, you'll see their first day of first grade next to their first day of 12th grade. Sometimes even some professors will take silly pictures. Um, Going to school for my 20th year. (laughs) This is my favorite snack. This is my favorite color. Um, but at the same time, while they're kind of silly, these things are kind of cool to see, are they not? It's neat to look back and to see the growth, especially in something that's so obvious, starting out as a first grader all the way to a 12th grader, seeing the growth not just physically, but even mature, mature in maturity, hopefully, uh, in maturity as well. As we come to our passage this evening... We have a unique opportunity to see growth in David. You see, just two chapters ago in 1 Samuel 24, we saw a very similar circumstance. If you remember, as David is in the the cave and Saul comes and David cuts off the corner of his robe and then they have this interaction, it's very similar to exactly what we see here. And that raises the question, why... Would these two stories be put in here? Why, why would these two things that happened be put next to each other? Couldn't we just have had one? It kind of sums up the story and then we move on. Both of these happened. And in the Lord's providence 
and his wisdom, he's included them both in scripture, and uniquely they allow us to see the growth in David. Especially with this story in between of Nabal and David's reaction there. So as we come to this, it might almost seem like, oh, we've already gone through this. But look past the details and see the growth in David's life. The first thing we see is a rekindled rivalry. So your first question might be as we turn to this passage, well, why are we here again to begin with? At the end of 1 Samuel 24, it seemed that everything was fine. David confronted Saul. Saul acknowledged, I have, I have done wrong. You are better than I. The Lord bless you. And then Saul takes his arm and he leaves. They go their separate ways. It, it seems that this rivalry has been taken care of. They've moved on. Saul's recognized that he's being foolish. And just two chapters later now, we're right back in the heat of it. In fact, it's the very same characters, if you'll note right there at the beginning. The Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah. It was also the Ziphites in 1 Samuel 23, 19, who informed Saul of David's location. Whoever these Ziphites are, they really hate David. Maybe part of their motivation this time is what they had done before. They don't want David to be king one day because they've already betrayed him once and who knows how he'll retaliate if he ever becomes king. So, so Saul, here's another chance. Whatever the reason, the Ziphites betray, betray, betray David, contacting Saul, saying, here is where David is. And while it is somewhat surprising here in, in these first four or five verses that Saul is so intent on getting David once again, we did see kind of a hint of it at the end of chapter 25. In verse 44 it says, But Saul had given Michael his daughter, David's wife, to Palti, the son of Lash, who was from Galim. For some reason, Paul, Saul pulled his daughter away, David's wife, Michael, and gave her to someone else. There, something's going on here. And now, just a verse later in chapter 26, we see that Saul, this rivalry, his hatred is rekindled. Saul arose, went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having 3,000 chosen men of Israel with him to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. Again, just noting the similarities between what we already saw in chapter uh, 24. It's the Ziphites who inform Saul. It is Saul who takes his army, who pursues David. It is Saul who takes 3,000 chosen men, just like he did before, in pursuit of David. Launches off into the wilderness. This time, however, David is not caught by surprise. He has spies who are out and who are watching and who, who see this army coming. In fact, verse 5, David himself, David arose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay. And Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of his army, now Saul lay within the camp, the people encamped all around him. So David knows the army is here. He goes and he, his spies have informed him. Now he sneaks up. He, he peeks over the hill. He looks and, and sure enough, there's the army. 3,000 men. And right in the middle of all of them, you can almost think of like a, a big circle. And right in the middle is Saul. 
you would think, secure in the middle of his army. So right at the beginning, we're told of this change. This rivalry is rekindled. There is is still hate there. Saul has not given up on his jealousy, on his wrath. And yet in verses 6 to 12, we see a strengthened faith. You see, in verse 5, as David sees this army, verse 6, then, then David answered and said to Ahimelech the Hittite and to Abishai the son of Zeruiah, brother of Joab, saying, Who will go down with me to Saul in the camp? Now that seems like kind of a crazy thing to do. It has made it clear, the passage has made it clear that Saul is secure. He's in the middle. He's surrounded by his army. His generals are around him. There is no easy way to get to Saul. And yet, David thinks, huh, I think I can get there. Who's going to go with me? I think it's safe to assume, based on the Lord's intervention for David in this matter, as we'll see later on in the chapter, a deep sleep that falls, that this excursion was the Lord's plan, was by the Lord's leading. Whether David realized that in the moment or not, the Lord is leading David to do this. This is not merely some foolish act of, I'm going to prove how brave I am. So David and Abishai go down by night. And Saul sleeping within the camp with his spear stuck in the ground by his head. Again, this is not the first time we've seen this spear. It is the spear that, David, uh, that Saul had thrown at David on multiple occasions. And around Saul there, Abner and the people lay all around him. You can almost sense a, a, a sense of surprise in Abishai in verse 8 where he says, God has delivered your enemy into your hand this day. He volunteered to go with David, yet he seemed surprised that they made it. Yet here they are, standing next to the sleeping king with a spear right there. Perhaps in Abishai's mind, he had been in the cave with David, and maybe had seen David's reaction there when the men had thought, let's kill Saul, this is our opportunity, and David says, no. Why? Because who am I to kill the Lord's anointed? And yet perhaps this time in Abishai's mind, it could not be any clearer. Maybe before Saul just happened to go into that cave. But this time, the Lord has placed us right here. This is clearly his doing. He's gotten us through an entire army. You can almost sense the excitement. Look what God is doing. He's delivered your enemy. Let me just take this spear and I, I can do it in one punch. And yet note David's response. Do not destroy him, verse 9. For who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? This is the same faithful commitment that had gripped David's heart in 1 Samuel 24. 
This is the same way that he had responded then. And yet, note here that David goes further. We see growth in David, boldness here. Not only should I not do this, but I know that when the Lord wants him gone, the Lord will get rid of him. As the Lord lives, the Lord shall strike him. You have to imagine that that idea comes to David's mind out of what he has just seen happen to Nabal. The Lord struck him. And the Lord's timing. The Lord took care of that. David has seen the Lord do things in his way, in his time. He has learned from that. He has grown. So not only is this the Lord's anointed, but the Lord lives. The Lord shall strike him, or his day shall come to die, or he shall go out to battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. The Lord does not need me to kill Saul. If the Lord wants him gone, he will get rid of him. The Lord can strike him if he wants. He can kill him right now in his sleep. He doesn't need me to do it. Brothers and sisters, there's a lesson for us in that. I've quoted this many times before. My great-great-grandfather used to say, it's never right to do wrong in order to have an opportunity to do right. It would have been wrong to kill the Lord's anointed even if it worked out in David's favor. And a good result in the end does not make up for the sin it took to get there. Sin is sin. In fact, I think there's even a, a more general statement for us here. And it's just the general, the idea of to be faithful where the Lord has you and trust him to work out the details of your future. This is a great opportunity for David to take things into his own hand, right? God had promised, I'll be king. Here's the king right here. Here's my chance. We've seen other Old Testament figures take that line of thinking, like Abraham with uh, Hagar. Rather, David trusts the Lord's timing and the Lord's wisdom. Again, there's application to our lives. Students who are eager to get into ministry, be patient. Trust the Lord's timing. Be faithful where he has you now so that when you get there, you'll be better prepared. Those of you who are single and, and desire to be married, trust the Lord's timing. Be faithful where he has you now. Those who are childless and desperate for children, trust the Lord's timing. And we could go on after situation after situation and circumstance after circumstance. And yet the lesson is still the same. Brothers and sisters, trust the Lord's timing. His way is best. He knows what he is doing. 
And whatever the circumstances are, the truth remains that God is good and his timing is best. Even as David recognizes here with a spear in his hand at the king's head. It is not mine to take this into my hand. I will trust the Lord. He can remedy this situation in his timing, in his way. So David goes on, he takes a spear, the jug of the water. And they get out of there. In fact, it makes it clear here, lest we think that this is just a result of David's cunning and his good sneakiness and whatever it might be, it makes it clear because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen on them. Again, the theme that we see all throughout David's life that the Lord is at work for David. All of this, behind everything that goes on, the Lord is at work work accomplishing his purpose he is with david unless we forget that it reminds us here the reason that this went on this way is because a deep sleep from the lord had fallen on them so david goes over to the other side verse 13 as we see growth a faith that is strengthened A man who responds similarly, as we saw in verse 24, and yet with an even stronger zeal and boldness here in verse 26. A man who had made a mistake and reacted wrongly to an offense in chapter 25. Here we see growth, we see patience, we see faith. Now we see a renewed peace. David goes over to the other side. He gets out of the camp. He gets on a hill far away, as the passage tells us. And he calls out, Do you not answer Abner? And Abner answered, Who are you calling out to the king? David goes on in verses 15 to 16 to really call out Abner and his men, to mock them even. They are in pursuit of David, and yet, ironically, it is they who in their sleep put the king at danger. They are the ones who are a danger to the king, not David. So David calls them out. You have failed to protect your king. But really what we want to get to is here in verse 17, as Saul responds, Is that your voice, my son David? And David says, it is my voice, my Lord, O King. Again, note here David's humility as he honors Saul with his words. My Lord, O King. Though David had been anointed to be king, he shows honor to the one who is king. Why does my Lord thus pursue his servant? Why are you after me? What have I done? What evil is in my hand? Let my lord, the king, hear the words of his servant. Really, David puts forth two possibilities here. Number one, if the Lord has stirred you up against me, let him accept an offering. Possibility number one is that I have done something wrong. Possibility number one is that Saul is just behind his pursuit of David and that the the Lord is behind this. In fact, note David's humility and his willingness to consider the fact in a very unlikely circumstance that he might be wrong. In fact, how many conflicts might we avoid if if we were willing to consider that fact, to humble ourselves in humility every once in a while and consider the fact, I might be wrong. 
If I am, show me where I'm wrong. I'm willing to remedy this. But the second possibility, if it is the children of men, evil men who lie to Saul about David, knowing how it will provoke him, if this is not the Lord's doing, but if this is men's doing, then may they be cursed before the Lord, for they have driven me out this day from sharing in the inheritance of the Lord, saying, go serve other gods. They have, by their lies, deprived David of what is rightfully his. He is an Israelite. He has a stake in the land, a family, the privilege of serving the, God, of serving the Lord. And yet, not only has he been exiled from his land, he's been exiled from the tabernacle. He has no way to serve his God. They're treating him as a foreigner. Get out. You have no right here. By their lies, they are robbing him of what is his. And so he says, if, it is, if this is not the doing of the Lord, if it's the doing of men, curse them. In fact, he goes on, either way, whether this is the Lord's doing, Saul, or whether this is the doing of men, either way, you're wasting your time and you are wasting resources by, by chasing me. Do not let my blood fall to the earth before the face of the Lord, for the king of Israel has come out to seek a flea as one who hunts a partridge in the mountains. A flea, meaning it's pointless. You're wasting your time. You're wasting your resources. In fact, not only is, is, is Saul doing all of this to pursue one man, he's pursuing one man who has only ever shown himself to be a faithful servant of the king. Who proved that in Engedi, as he did not kill Saul, and who has served him time and time again. Who defeated Goliath when no one else would step up. Who served in the court of the king playing his instrument. And yet Saul pursues him. Again, note Saul's response, very similar to what we see in chapter 24. Saul, remarkably, confesses his sin. I have sinned. I am in the wrong. Return, my son David, for I will harm you no more. A promise, a promise that seems somewhat empty. In fact, as we see David's response, he doesn't fully believe him. I'll harm you no more because my life is precious in your eyes this day. Indeed, I have played the fool and erred exceedingly. I think there's something, another lesson for us to see in this. It's a lesson that we see in Proverbs over and over again. How a calm answer turns away wrath. I mean, Saul is enraged. He is coming with 3,000 men. He is pursuing David. And yet David simply says, look, Saul, I could have killed you. I didn't. If, if this is God's doing, then I'll take care of it. I'll do an offering. If this is men's doing, then you're following lies. 
Either way, look, here is your spear. Here is your water jug. I could have killed you. I didn't. And by responding this way, Saul, Saul's sin is put on display. He, he is shown to be the fool. I have been foolish. David goes on. Here is the king's spear. You let one of the young men come over and get it. Again, note the wisdom of David there. Even though Saul has confessed his sin, he's shown himself to be wrong. He's also shown a pattern of going back on that. So rather than going into the camp saying, all right, here you go, here I am. Saul says, or David says, you can come and get it, it's here. But may the Lord repay every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord delivered you into my hand today, but I would not stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Indeed, as your life was valued much this day in my eyes, so let my life be valued much in the eyes of the Lord, and let him deliver me out of all tribulation. Even here, David's faith is not in Saul to honor his word. His faith is in the Lord to honor his faithful promises. He doesn't, notice he doesn't say here, you know, Saul, let me live because I've let you live. He says, may the Lord let me live. May the Lord let me live. There's wisdom there. People will always let you down. No matter how close you are to them, who they are, people will let you down. But the Lord will never let you down. Trust the Lord. That's what we see here in David. See, Saul's response to David is really a remarkable passage. Do you know that this is actually um, the last words between Saul and David? After this, they go their separate ways. And they do not interact again until Saul dies. And after all of this, note that this is the last phrase by the wisdom of God. This is the last thing that Saul says to David. May you be blessed, my son David. You shall both do great things and also still prevail. What a prophetic word in the Lord. Saul probably had no idea what he was even saying there. And yet, at the same time, what an encouragement to the soul of David, who is on the run, who once again has had the army come after him. And yet, this very man who is pursuing him, after everything, Saul's final words to David are words of encouragement by the grace of God. May you be blessed. You shall both do great things and also still prevail. God's not done with you. You will do great things. So David went his way and Saul returned to his palace. There's a renewed peace between these two rivals as their last conversation comes to a close. A couple of points of application to rehearse. Number one, wait on the Lord and his perfect timing. Trust him in his perfect timing, and wait on the Lord. Secondly, along those same lines with trusting the Lord, not only trust his timing, 
but know that he is faithful. So as you trust the Lord's timing, understand that people will fail you, but the Lord will be found faithful. And because he is faithful, you can be faithful. You must be faithful. So really, at the end of all of this, this growth that we see in David, what does it all come down to? It's faith, is it not? This growth that is evidenced in David, it really comes back to growth in faith. He learned to trust the Lord even more. Even as we saw this morning in Ephesians 6. All of those, those pieces of armor that all go back to the truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ. How do you stand fast? You stand fast in the truth. You understand all of these things and, and you cling to them. And Satan's lies just bounce off. Here we see evidence of that. We see growth in David and that growth comes simply by growth in faith. From chapter 24 to 25 to 26, David has found God to be faithful and his faith has grown all the more bold and secure. So may our faith, too, grow. Just a word as we transition to communion. In just a second, we're going to sing, Behold the Lamb as we prepare our hearts to come to the Lord's table. And just a reminder, even in a passage like this, where we learn about the Lord's perfect timing and trusting in his perfect timing, it, I can't help but have my mind draw back to Galatians 4.4, where in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman under the law. Even your salvation was in the perfect timing of God. If you can trust some, God with something so big, why do we struggle so much to trust him with the little things each day? And so even as we sing this song, Behold the Lamb, Behold the Lamb, understanding the perfect timing of God and his perfect plan even as we come to this table this evening. Let's stand together and sing, Behold the Lamb.